Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they came to him in a body, and after winning over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for a reconciliation because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat on the platform, and delivered a public address to them. The people kept shouting, The voice of a god and not a mortal. And immediately, because he had not given the glory to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this passage, we ask that you would give us wisdom and that you would guide us through this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to give you just a little bit of background as to how I go about picking passages to preach. Uh, I'm sure that every pastor is different in how they do it. I tend to like to preach in series, although I, I do like to, to break that up with uh, sermons, just one uh, shot sermons on, on a particular passage. But I really especially like to go through a book of the Bible. There's just something special about that. I think one of the things I like about it is that it gets me away from my own special interests. That I'm uh, there'll be certain things that draw me, and so if I just had to pick passages by myself, I would aim at certain kinds of passages. But when I have to preach through a book of the Bible, I'm kind of stretched. I'm, I'm forced to uh, just tackle what the text says. The text says what the text says, whether I like it or you like it or not. It's We're just kind of stuck with the message of that passage. And so to me, that's good. That's a healthy way for us to, to be challenged by the scriptures and to be put in a place sometimes where we're uncomfortable. Now, having said that, I don't feel obligated, even when I'm going through a book of the Bible, to preach on every single passage in that, in that book. So if you go back to my series that I did on Luke, and you go through all of my sermons, you'll find that I skipped some passages. Uh, it's not that I disagreed with those passages, or I thought that they were uh, not inspired or anything like that, but maybe I thought that, well, you know, that passage pretty much says the same thing as the passage beforehand, so we're just going to skip that. We're going to get through the book a little bit quicker, and, and I'm just going to pick some of the ones that stand out to me. Now, as I was going through Acts, and I prepare ahead of time what I'm going to preach on so I can get the, the passages to Alan so that he can pick the, the songs, and I, I'm going through and I'm making a list, and I'm, I have my list of Sundays, and I'm putting which passage uh, I'm going to preach on that particular Sunday. And I'm going to tell you that originally the passage that I just read to you didn't make the cut. Uh, it, I, I looked at that and said, no way, I'm not preaching on that, forget it. And, uh, and I went on to the next passage. And as I was going on to the next passage, I thought, well, maybe I should look at it. I mean, I realized this is a strange passage. First of all, it's kind of disgusting, okay? Just the thought of this guy dying from worms is not a pleasant thought. Uh, also, I was not sure about it because, well, it never mentions Jesus, and even the apostles aren't really a part of this particular passage. So when we're looking at the Acts of the Apostles as a book, do we really need to look at a passage that has nothing to do with the apostles? So I thought, I might as well skip it. 
But there was that nagging voice. What if, what if this passage has something for us that is worth looking at? And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to look at this passage and I'm determined that there is something here that we can get something out of. So we're going to take a look at the death of Herod. In our last message, we looked a little bit at Herod, and we saw how uh, this particular Herod was the grandson of Herod the Great, the Herod that had tried to kill Jesus and, and killed all the infants in in Bethlehem. And uh, that Herod, the grandfather, he might have been Herod the Great, but he was not Herod the Good. He was not a good man. Uh, he did do some important things. He did do some uh, uh, great accomplishments. For example, that temple that Jesus and the apostles uh, went through, uh, that was a building that that, that Herod pretty much built. Uh, there had been a temple before, but he completely rebuilt it. And so that was a, a great thing. But he was uh, an evil man. He did not do well. And in this case, the, the apple did not far, fall far from the tree. And his, uh, he had, some of his sons were less than worthy. And the same was true when it came to his grandsons as well. And this particular Herod is one of those bad apples. And so we already saw how he was trying to gain favor with a certain group of people. And so he uh, had James, the apostle, arrested and killed by the sword. And he saw that the people were happy. Oh, this is good. They, all I had to do was kill this guy and I'm, my popularity levels are rising. I'm going to do that again. And so he arrested Peter, uh, tried to do the same thing. But of course, the angel intervened and Peter survived and everything was OK. But we're seeing a little bit of the, the kind of person Herod was. And in this particular case, uh, we're, we're looking at a story that seems out of place in, in some ways because it's not really a religious discussion. It, it's not something where he's uh, trying to figure out what to do about the Jesus followers. It's not about starting a persecution. Uh, it's not about anything seemingly about faith. It seems to be a, a political meeting, something that most of us probably wouldn't be normally interested in unless you're interested in ancient history. And so he's having this meeting uh, with some representatives from uh, another nation, and he gets all dressed in his regalia. And so like uh, rulers in, uh, in many areas even today, there's a, a certain... Um, uh, uniform or clothing that you wear when you're doing official functions. And so that's what he does. And he goes there and he's having this meeting and he makes a presentation to these people and they respond very well. In fact, they say the voice of a God and not of a mortal. Now, how would you feel if someone said something like that? that well, probably if you were someone like Herod, it would feel really good to hear that. But we find out what, that God did not take that well and that God struck him down and he was eaten by worms and he died. The end. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Well, okay, maybe we can say a little bit more about uh, what's going on here. So what do we do with this passage? Is this passage teaching us if we step out of line, or if someone says something that is too praiseworthy of us, 
God is going to strike us down and kill us. Is that what it's saying? Probably not. This, uh, this was a special instance. Uh, first of all, Herod was a particularly evil man from a particularly evil family. Also, this was at a very uh, particular time in the beginning of the early church. And so this is uh, not something that was typical and is not typical today. We should not be looking anytime we get sick or we hear about someone else getting sick and wondering uh, if God is punishing them. That is not necessarily what we should be doing. So we want to know why was it that Herod was struck down? Well, we're told here that they called upon him as a God and he did not give the glory to God. What's really interesting about this particular story is we know that this is historical. Uh, of course, we would accept it because it's in the scriptures, but it's also found in uh, the writings of the first century Jewish historian Josephus. He writes the same story. And he, as a historian, he had to pick and choose what uh, pieces of history from the first century he was going to include in his writings. And for some reason, he too was drawn to the story of Herod uh, being a claim to God and then being struck down and dying this painful death. And so that's uh, kind of interesting that that really captured people's attention. But I see here more than just a person who had a bit of pride. He really seemed to see himself in some kind of divine way. Uh, we do know that Herod was very closely connected with the Romans, and the Roman emperors did accept worship. In fact, uh, they demanded worship at certain times. And so it's very likely that this Herod wanted to be like those Roman leaders, and he was coveting that kind of worship that was going on. And it was for that reason that he was struck down. Now, we have to ask, what does that mean for us? How are we going to use this in any possible way? Well, the thing we need to remember as we look at this idea of being uh, compared to a God is to remember that this temptation has been here from the very beginning. Uh, what was it that was said to Adam and Eve to get them to eat the forbidden fruit? Eat this fruit and you will be like God. That was the temptation. It wasn't eat this fruit because it really tastes good. It's eat this fruit and you will be like God. They wanted to be like God. Uh, that there is that temptation for people to become God-like. And we see that throughout history. It has happened uh, for rulers, for celebrities, all kinds of different people have wanted to be a God. Now, in what way are they becoming a god? Is it by power? Well, not really power. It's not being powerful like a god. In fact, even when you look at the ancient Greek and Roman gods, they, they weren't all powerful the way we think of the god of Israel. Rather, they were, they were these beings that received worship. That's what the definition of a god was, someone who received worship. And so the Roman emperors, they could actually get the Senate to vote them after their death to become a god. After, if you were popular enough during your life, after your death, you could become a god and you would have temples and people would worship you. Uh, even while you were alive, you could receive some worship, especially in the East. And that's what the, the, the longing was for, to receive that praise from other people. And I think that's the same temptation that's around today. 
today that there are people who want to receive that praise. I definitely have seen that uh, among pastors, especially some of the, the mega church and celebrity pastors where you might hear in their churches more talk about the pastor's name than that of Jesus' name, that they are the ones that everything is about. Everything revolves around them. And we see that this is a problem because there have been times when when uh, some of these pastors have fallen, they've done, uh, there's been a moral failing and there's been discipline and the church or the organization that they're connected with has said, listen, you need to step down. You need to receive counseling. You need to take this long of a break from ministry uh, because you need to, to recover from this thing that has taken place. And very often you will see these pastors do not do that. They do not submit to that discipline. Rather, they say, no, there's no way that God can get through uh, building his kingdom without me and so I'm going to start my own church down the road and I'm going to start from scratch and it's all got to be about me and we see that over and over again but this isn't just about pastors uh, anyone can fall into this there are many lay people who want to have that that um, attention. I am sure that if you visited enough congregations, and we just went around St. Catharines and visited uh, churches, different churches every Sunday, and we just talked to people in the pews, I guarantee you, you will find that at least one person who has come to that congregation because at their previous congregation, they didn't receive enough attention. The people did not give them the recognition for all the hard work that they had done. And so they felt if, if people are not going to recognize their work, then they're going to go somewhere else. People long for these kind of things. So what do we do with all of this? Well, I'll, t I'll give you a couple examples of what we shouldn't do. These are unhealthy ways to respond to this tendency. One is to just stop encouraging people. Because we could look at this passage and say, well, uh, they were praising Herod and he didn't turn it down. And so uh, he, uh, he was wrong in that way. And so we shouldn't encourage people because we don't want them to fall into temptation and to, to fall into pride or anything like that. That is not the case. The Bible clearly tells us that we are to use our words to build up other people. Now, we have to do it uh, within limits. Certainly, we do not say, you know, you are so amazing, you are godlike. That's probably going over the top somewhat. But to encourage people, to build people up is good. And also to receive it. I went through a time where I was quite happy to encourage other people, but I would refuse to receive any encouragement or compliment from another person because I was taught that that would lead to dangerous temptation of pride. But then I realized I'm a hypocrite because I'm telling people to praise, but then I am also telling people not to receive that praise. That just doesn't make sense. And so there's, there are healthy ways of doing this. The other thing that is an unhealthy way to respond to this is to take the position that you are just this terrible person. And, and some people like to put themselves down all the time. They've figured the only option to not fall into pride is to make a big deal about how unworthy we are. And so we'll say, oh, I, you know, I'm so terrible. I'm just this, this worm. In fact, I'm not just the worm. I'm not the scum underneath the worm. And, and you just go on and on seeing how, how bad you are. And that's not a great way to do it either because we are created in God's image. And when God created us, he said, this is very good. 
So we have value in God's eyes. There's a different way to go about this. The best way is to do what Herod didn't do, and that is to see that there is one God, and that God is the God of Israel, uh, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that one God, the Trinity. That is the only God. And we see ourselves in comparison to that God. So we can see ourselves as having value, but we have value in the shadow of the glory of God. It is God who receives the praise and not us. And that's the way for us to go. What this passage is telling us is that we should not be got, uh, get caught up in our own praise. Uh, we shouldn't believe our own hype. We have to remember that Herod wasn't God. Herod's grandfather wasn't God. Even the apostles, uh, John and Peter, they were not God. Uh, I'm not God. You're not God. None of us is God. Only God is God. And when we see everything in the light of that, that God is the one who deserves the glory, we don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't also, we don't have to lift ourselves up either. We can just be content in the presence of God. We can give praise to him. We can glorify God. And even as we're encouraging other people, in, when we're doing it in healthy ways, we are glorifying God because ultimately God is the one who is empowering those people to do the things that they're doing. And so that's exactly what Herod didn't do, and it's exactly what, what God wants us to do, to see that he is God and that we are not. Let us pray. God, as we reflect upon this passage, it's such a, a strange passage for us, and we could easily uh, interpret it in the wrong way and fear that maybe we would receive your divine punishment and yet we see that there is a, a deeper meaning to it here, a reminder of who is God, that Herod wasn't God, you were God, we are not God, you are God, and we're thankful because we don't have what it takes. Uh, you are the only one who deserves the praise, you are the one who deserves the glory, and we ask that you would be glorified and that you would be praised through the things that we do and say and think. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.